Day and welcome to the Pandemic Show. Stories of the Pandemic for people living in the Pandemic. No one is alone on the Pandemic Show. Thanks for joining us as we unite humanity through stories of hope, connection, and community in the face of the global pandemic. We are all in this together, and we're glad you're here together with us. Happy March! Spring is just around the corner. Today, we're transcending time and space to L.A., California. Who are you? Hello, I'm Tim Russ. How are you? I'm over the moon right now with excitement. Tim Russ, prominent actor, director, writer, jack of all trades in the arts industry, master of the stage, singer-songwriter with the Tim Russ crew. It is a pleasure and honor to be talking Pandemic here with you today on episode one. We are now in the great reopening. The world has greatly changed, but it's just a pleasure and honor to talk with you today about your pandemic journey, as well as to play song title in the form of a pandemic question inspired by the one and only Nardwar, the human serviette. Now, Tim, I just have to take a moment to say that the pandemic show stands with Canadian singer-songwriter Julie Black. Julie Black at the NBA All-Star Game changed some lyrics in the Canadian National Anthem from our home and native land to our home on native land. And it has come out recently. She shared on her Twitter that she's receiving a lot of hate email and a lot of people are throwing shade and hate on her. And the pandemic show is actively anti-white supremacist and we work with everyone for justice and equity for all. So we just want to say that we stand with Julie Black against the hate that she's experienced since the All-Star Game. And were you aware of that controversy down there in L.A.? I was not aware of the controversy uh, that resulted from what she said or how she sang the national anthem, a Canadian national anthem, differently than than it was the way it was written. Uh, I was not aware of that, but I'm also not not surprised at the uh, the reaction that she's gotten from from people who are not very happy about uh, how she changed the lyrics, etc. We have, you know, it's sort of a paradox here in the States. We have something similar in terms of the flag. We have groups of people down here that scream and holler about the flag and this and that and the other thing about the flag, but then they'll turn around and use the flag, that same group of people, and as it were, commit violence against people while they're holding the flag or wearing the flag or doing whatever with the flag. And they've changed the way the flag looks over and over to make their political statement they don't have a problem with that. But if anybody else wants to use the flag in protest because of injustice and inequality and, and things like that, then then they just have three cows and it's all, you know, up in arms and clutching the pearls and pitchforks and uh, torches. So it's, you know, all of that is relative to where people, where their views and their political stances are. So otherwise, they are nothing more than symbols for the country. They are not the country. They are just symbols, and people take them way too seriously in most cases. What she said was absolutely true. Same thing with this country here as well. Congratulations, Julie Black. I tried to get some tickets to your show in Kitchener, but it's sold out. So keep doing <laughs> what you're doing. And also, 
just a shout out to Sook Champa, who was on the Pandemic Show Season 2. He will be opening for Julie Black. to get your time recording this on the Upper Canada Treaty Territory, the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, Anishinaabe, and Chung Unkton people in Southern Ontario on March 1st. And we're lucky up here in Canada, Wyerton Willie, the weather predicting groundhog, predicted that we were going to have an early spring. We're scheduled to get a snowstorm this weekend again. But what the what's the weather like down there where you are, Tim, in L.A.? We have had actually snow. We I... had snow in Los Angeles, um, which has not happened since I've lived here, especially not down to 500 feet or less. It's cold. It's rainy. And we even got snow flurries. It's very strange and bizarre weather. When I heard about that in the news, it blew my mind. You see, when Texas gets a snowstorm, the the power grid goes down. It's almost like society's going to collapse. How did L.A. handle the snow? Did you get any accumulation? Were a lot of people in the ditch? Was there, or did people just stay home till it melts? No, it was it was not on the ground very long. Uh, it melts usually right when it hits the ground. Some places it was on long enough to make a snowball out of, but most areas it was just flurries, and so they melted as soon as they hit the ground, and that was it. But it did come down. It was yes. cold enough for it. Wild times, and California has been suffering from a drought for a considerable amount of time, and then in the last, seems like, month or six weeks, you've been getting a lot of precipitation, and hopefully... This peculiar snow will help with the the ongoing drought issues that you're facing. Oh, yes. We got a big snow cap on the mountains that are right here. And also uh, the rainfall we've had definitely has wiped out the drought for now. If we have a decent rainfall, perhaps at the end of next year or the beginning of next year, again, then we should be able to stay out of the drought. But sometimes we get uh, a few years where the rainfall is just not enough to do it. So, And we're now in the point of the pandemic where sadly the Ukraine... Russia war has been going on for over a year. China has just attempted to broker a peace plan, which Russia shot down because they're not done um, with their uh, crimes against humanity. Uh, Turkey is three weeks past their devastating earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Now, you lived in Turkey as a young person. Do you have any familiarity with the areas that were hit by these devastating earthquakes? No, because we were on the coast. We were on the Mediterranean coast um, at Izmir, and those earthquakes took place in southeastern Turkey. Uh, we did experience earthquakes while I was there. Um, they would average between four and a half to five on the Richter, on Richter scale. So, we, and we did have numbers of them while we were on the on the uh, western coast. But I think it's been mostly central and southeastern Turkey that have experienced the biggest quakes. And it seems like a lot of the trouble there can be linked to shoddy construction and poor regulation governing building it seems like there's a scandal now that's embroiling the it seems like when they have one of those presidents for life situations over there and it's oh it's so sad and my heart also goes out because there was just a big train accident in ohio i believe that might have been prevented if regulations hadn't have been cut back in under the previous uh, presidential administration in your country. Uh, yes, that is correct. There, uh, I don't know what the NTSB came up with. I believe that they said it was an issue with the sensors in the railroad to tracks. The, they have heat sensors every certain number of miles, and they detect if there's any uh, heating, un- unusual or, or, or uh, abnormal heating happening under the rail cars uh, and the wheels as they pass over them. And if they are, they alert the uh, conductor to slow the train down or, or stop it. So I don't know if this uh, if the fire 
apparently might have been started before it even reached the point where it came off the rails. Oh, wow. Um, and that is uh, that would be because there wasn't a sensor uh, in between the time when it happened and the time when the, the previous sensor would have picked it up. So there might have been a gap in there. And I believe that's I believe that's what the NTSB found. That being said, there's an average of 1000 derailments per year in the United States. That has been going on for decades. That's just the way it is. That number is actually starting to come down right now. It's starting to decrease, but there's a lot of them per, per year. It's very common. The, yeah. one, the one that just happened was really stands out because of all of the dangerous chemicals and yes. dangerous freight that was on it with now yes. concerns around water pollution, air pollution. Right. Yeah. And that's where we are at episode 100 of the pandemic. And I am so grateful for our guest today, Tim Russ, joining us to share his story. Stories of the pandemic for the people of the pandemic. No one's alone on the pandemic show. I just want to go back in time to 2019. You released a pretty powerful song around humanity and technology. We. Yes. That's right. And, and it was just, it was December 2019. COVID was a thing in Asia, but it hadn't yet reached North America and shut us down. I just would like to stop to take a moment to play that powerful song right now. Could you just tell the people of the pandemic a little bit about what was in your mind as you wrote this song and prepared this important project? Well, the We in particular is a satirical track that is based on how the uh, the giant giant government agencies and or corporations really view the individual person your individuality can be lost and completely swallowed up by anonymity that that you're faced with from the government agencies that are mismanaged the corporations that are that that don't want to to take the time to talk to you. They don't want you to call them. They want you to go onto their website. They don't want to deal with you. And I had a very frustrating long call on the day that I wrote the song. I was on the phone for an hour and a half or something trying to deal with customer service. And I can't remember which company it was, but at the time I was so upset after that waste of time and going in circles and incompetence that I took an hour to write that song. I wrote it an hour and then recorded it not long after that. It's a statement on the number of people that we have uh, in the world and or in this country is growing. And all it comes down to in civilization is just managing the numbers of people. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. We don't live in tribes of 20 people anymore. We live in giant, huge metropolitan cities and sprawling urban settlements and whatever. And we have a lot of people. Agencies are created to manage all of the people. The corporations and companies have to sell their wares and their products and services to mountains of people. So there's a lot of interaction. It's just a matter of managing all of this stuff. You know, that's what it comes down to. And uh, you tend to get lost in the shuffle. You tend to, to not be that important even when they're trying to sell you a product, you know, in some cases it's like, what, well, you know, don't you want your customers to, to be happy? Don't you want them to, uh, to give them, to give them service so they'll come back and buy your product again? You know, and it's definitely a change from 30 years ago. It feels to me like th society has really changed, especially what you're talking about now. It makes me think of my doctor's office. 20 years ago, I'd call my doctor's office, I'd get the receptionist and things would be moving right along. Now I call in and I'm on hold for an hour. There's one receptionist working for eight doctors. There's just not that one-on-one -on -one communication 
that you're talking about here in the song that that led to the creation of this song we very powerful it's got a bit of a sci-fi dystopian feel to it especially in the video shout out tim russ crew playing <laughs> every month at the kibitz room in yep. la lots of free parking <laughs> that's a free parking you are greater than machine December 2019. Yes. You were frustrated by being left on hold while dealing with business. You wrote the song, We, and then a couple months later, bam, the pandemic changed the world. How did your life change? And what was it like in LA and California? Now, each country's taking a different approach to responding to the pandemic. Well, in my, my own sort of local world of California, we basically followed the rules. We basically did the lockdown. We were stuck in our house. We were trying to get a hold of paper towels and toilet paper because, of course, that was being taken off the shelves in large amounts and you couldn't find them. We were uh, getting disinfectant and spraying everything that we brought back into the house. We were wearing our masks, staying at home, and we weren't doing anything. We were watching a heck of a lot of television and movies and TV shows and things like that, which we had never done before. 
And it was a great big drag. Work disappeared because nobody was shooting anything or doing anything. And we just had to sit it out for that period of time. It was crazy. Musically, I had to change up and, and, and out of our regular routine. And we decided to put on musical performances in the front yard of my house so that the neighbors could all come by and sit and listen. And it allowed us to go ahead and keep performing keep our, our sound together, keep the band tight, and, and keep the songs fresh. So we did that about five or six, maybe 10 times during the pandemic. And that was something that I really, I really appreciated uh, having a chance to do. I couldn't conceive of not playing any music for an entire year. The rest of the country, however, reacted differently in different places. You know, obviously, as you're aware, not only now, but particularly then is when all the all of the uh, hoax theories and conspiracy theories and all that garbage came about. We had a president who was incapable of, of doing his job as president, the worst we've ever had. The man knew that the pandemic was serious. He is on tape, actually in a recording, talking about being briefed and talking about how serious it's going to be, and then turning around and telling everybody that it's nothing and telling everybody that it's going to go away and then accusing the other political party of creating a hoax and blah, blah, blah. And that caused a good chunk of the country to follow along. Is propaganda media outlet Fox News and others went ahead and amplified and echoed the same sentiment. And therefore, a good half the country, you know, was not really participating in the lockdown and the prevention of the spread of the virus as much as they should have. And thus, we had four different, five different variants. We are prisoners of our own ignorance and insanity as we speak currently. And that's, that didn't make the pandemic go any better. But in California, not a problem. In the, in the states that knew what they were doing, the states that had people who, who were focused on reality and living in the real world, as opposed to alternative facts, we did just fine. We did, we did our job. We did what we were supposed to do. So there you go. How long did the lockdowns, virtual school, did that last? Did, did it go longer than 2021 where you are? Did yeah, it, it, went, it, it went well into 2021. I think by the fall of 2021, kids were back in school and they're back in school now. So it was, I think it was fall of 2021 when they got the kids back to going to school. Yeah, they lost an entire year and a half of school, basically. And did you find any time to collaborate with people that you might not have been able to collaborate if there hadn't been a pandemic? I think there was one project that I worked on during the pandemic in terms of writing. Uh, there was one project, it was a feature project that I worked on with another writer friend of mine, and we, we managed to get that done during the pandemic. Shortly after the pandemic, once we were back on our feet, actually, strangely enough, most of the work and writing I got done was late 2021 and all through 2022. I got a lot of stuff done during that, that year in 2022. During the pandemic, I think it was just one, it was just one feature project I worked on. I didn't work on any new music. It was just, you know, performing live whenever I got a chance to. I think that's great how the Tim Russ crew was playing outside because that's exactly what was happening up here. Since we couldn't go <laughs> to the concert hall, to the corner music venue, Band started going and doing more backyard shows. And it would have been a real stinker of a pandemic if we wouldn't have been able to get together outside for live music. Big time. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
And Absolutely. Now, now we're in the great reopening. There seems to be some low-level societal depression and post-traumatic stress still lingering from the isolation and loneliness of the lockdowns. What's going on with you and the uh, the crew? We did a cruise just before the pandemic, which was 2020, right on, I think it was February. We did the cruise just before the pandemic broke. And we've done a cruise. We did a cruise at the beginning of 2022. We did one just last year and uh, with the band on it and performed. And it was great. It was really very cool. And we're still playing in town about, yeah, once or twice a month sometimes. The divisiveness you mentioned in the United States also, I think, was definitely, we saw in Canada, maybe not to the extent. We're definitely mid-pandemic. We're getting back out there again. Some people are still wearing masks, but everybody's going out. And I'm hoping that the music, your music, all the artists' music around the world is going to bring people together, especially the people from different perspectives. And it's going to help return sanity and civility to public discourse, to public conversations. Because before the pandemic, we had all kinds of horrible problems. Income inequality, structural racism, environmental degradation, the list goes on. I remember when the police murders of George Floyd and Breonna Breonna Taylor happened in the United States. Kitchener-Waterloo had 10 to 15,000 people go out to a rally. And this was early pandemic, 2021, I believe, if I'm recalling. And the organizers of that didn't have a sound system that everyone could hear because they thought they might get 50 to 100 people. But it seems that there was that was one indication of a huge social like everybody kind of coming together around social justice, it seemed, especially around Black Lives Matters. In Canada, remains started to be discovered at residential schools. I'm not sure if you're aware about residential schools, but residential schools were one of the colonial policies that were used to oppress Indigenous people in Canada and the United States. Sadly, Indigenous children were taken away from their families and westernized or anglophonized. That happened in Canada early pandemic, and that really brought people together thinking about truth and reconciliation which is something that we're dealing with here up in Canada. So it seems like the people with being at home and all watching some of the same narratives, the people really did become united. Now we haven't seen much change from our political leaders or the political system, but hopefully that's coming. The pandemic show came about in response to the protests in 2020 in Oregon. DJ Tom was over playing mashups of electronic dance music and the the street protests in the United States. And it really did motivate me to do more to get talking to people, because if we can talk civilly, sometimes it's the ideas that are going to set us free. But what do you think? I know you're involved with the Black Lives Matter down in California. The Black Lives Matter, in fact, seven or eight countries around the world also participated in those marches. That was absolutely unbelievable. To live through that moment in time was really was really something. It was really amazing. It was all over the city. It was all over the country. It was all over the world in support of this yeah. in, of racial inequality and racial injustice. And not surprising about any of that, except for the fact that it actually happened. I think also because everybody was not working and sitting at home, everybody had time to be able to march for three months straight, almost every single day. That was unprecedented. It has never happened before. And it's due. I did not know that. Uh, I did know that it was it was it was in Canada. It was in South America. It was in Europe. It was everywhere. The support for this kind of thing, which was very encouraging to see. And you're right. It was 
I think, a direct result of the pandemic because, number one, people were not able to get out and they weren't working. They were sitting at home. They were they were pent up. They were frustrated. They were anxious to get out and they got out for a cause. And it just went it skyrocketed with the event of one person's death at the hand of a police officer and the country. I mean, unfortunately, the history of the United States, which one political faction in this country does not want to to, to discuss or talk about, Shame. deals with with racial inequality. And I can say what you mentioned earlier about things getting back to normal. They are physically in terms of people getting out and people, you know, we're all working again and projects are being done and we're doing this, that and the other thing. Yes, it is starting to get back to normal. That was going to be an inevitability at some point in time anyway. But the the issues that we're dealing with now are far worse than they were before. They have continually degraded. They have gotten worse. They have become far more contentious and divisive. There's more vitriol. There's more anger. There's more hate. There's more disgust. There's more misinformation and propaganda. Countries divided, clearly, clearly, clearly divided. People here don't even, you can't even have a discussion about anything because you either have to come down on one side or the other side of the, of the political spectrum. And one side being propaganda, conspiracy theories, misinformation, and disinformation. And people not even wanting to agree on a simple set of facts. And this has never happened ever in the history of the country. I think the pandemic, but mostly the fact that we elected a psychopath for a president, is the main issue. And this is the main issue. And before that, because we elected a black president, that also was the catalyst for them electing this president and going having a knee-jerk reaction to what that happened. Our history, not unlike the, the planet Earth, as it were, is what it is. If you ask your viewers, take a look at the globe. Look at the world, a model of the earth. You know where the equator is. The equator goes around the center of the earth. There are no countries below the equator who have ever colonized, exploited, or occupied a northern hemisphere country. Not one. It has exactly happened in the opposite direction. Every colony, every exploitation, every conquer, every enslavement has happened from the north to the south. In fact, the only Caucasians to be enslaved were those enslaved by Caucasians. So this is where we're at. This is the history of the planet, culturally, in terms of civilization, which, okay, fine, I accept that. This is the reality. But everyone needs to look at that and accept that. And that's the issue here. Everybody on both sides needs to understand the history of the planet. I don't know how anthropologically this happened. I don't know why or happened. Maybe it was the climate. Maybe it was the difficult conditions. Maybe it whatever. Maybe it was DNA. Maybe it was a mutation. Something caused one group of people to become so much more aggressive and conquering than the other. And the, those below the equator never did. And that's an interesting question. They lived at the same. To matter of fact, life started below the equator. Human evolution started below the equator but yet did not evolve to that point until those populations moved into the northern hemispheres of the, of, the, of the planet. And so this has happened, and we see it in all types of places and times in our history. And this country is no exception. And that is still that division, that viewpoint of the indigenous peoples, or Black Africans, or whatever, or in this case, Hispanics from South America, is still prevalent. We just overturned 50 years of, of constitutional laws for women 
50 years Shame. decided already, taken away their rights. Why? As spoken by one of the Republican, quote unquote, Republican representatives. This is a victory for white life. That's what she said. She literally, it's, it's on tape. You can look it on YouTube. It's there. They, she, they are going to be numerically a minority in about 10 or 12 years in this country. They will be a, a minority numerically in this country. And that is what frightens the pants off of them. The power of the, of the Northern European, the grip of power is being challenged and they are desperate to hold on to that power. We were fortunate enough to talk to Afro-Acadian scholar George Eliot Clark on episode 91, who talked about the importance of the rise of unionism in combating some of the evil in the world today. And he said pretty much what you're saying. And he, he said he thinks it's going to be very hard for Europe and the white Western world to work collaboratively with China and that historical racism is playing a role in this very complex geopolitical environment. So it's interesting, and I'm glad that we're here today talking about it with you, Tim Russ. Thank you for challenging hate and challenging ignorance and challenging corporate malfeasance through your Twitter account. I love reading your Twitter. It's keeping me up on some of the craziness in your country. And as scary as it is to see so many people with these limiting beliefs, these hurtful beliefs, I do find hope in people like you that are speaking up and challenging and pushing back against that. And now that we are in the great reopening and the Tim Russ crew and bands around the world are out again, hopefully the music and the, the theater and the arts and culture will bring people back together. The shared dining experiences, all those things that were put on the back burner during the pandemic. Hopefully those will bring us all back together so we can be more unified post-pandemic than we were pre-pandemic. Tim, are you ready to play song title in the form of a pandemic question? Yeah, sure. Fantastic. We're going to listen to I Would Stop the World to give us a taste of some of Tim's other work before we start our game. I would stop the world for you, babe I would stop the things I'd do If I knew you loved me too I would change my whole world over I would feign my history If you could see a future with me Show up in the dark, baby Blue skies don't last forever Sun shines so hard to believe in, baby I would stop the world for you If I knew you loved me too I would stop the world Fantastic love song, Tim. Thank you for letting us share that with the people of the pandemic today. And am I right? Is that a love song? I would stop the world for you. Absolutely. Yeah, certainly is. And that's what the world needs. More love songs. Here, here. <laughs> and when you write with the band, are you are you writing all together or do you do most of the writing and the arrangements? 
I do most of the writing and the arrangements. And occasionally I'll have Bill, my keyboard player, Bill, he might kick in on some ideas and things here and there. He, he participated in We a little bit more than, than normal. He's got some interest in that. But typically I'll just write the songs and I'll, I'll do a scratch track for them and send it to them. And then we'll, we'll work on it in the studio and see w- what we can get with it. Sometimes we'll play it live for a while and then we'll go and record it. But it depends on the song and, and how I put it together. Our first question, based on your awesome song that we just heard, did the pandemic stop the world based on your song, I Will Stop the World? Well, in a, in a manner of speaking, one could relate the title of that song to the pandemic. It definitely stopped the world. I can remember turning the television on and seeing the streets of Italy completely empty. So I know, I know it stopped the world. That was the most stunning thing that I rec- I can remember about the pandemic, was looking at Times Square, Rome, London, and the streets have no one in them. That is the most stunning, unbelievable thing to see in real time. It looked like a science fiction movie, like we see in all the science fiction movies of a post-apocalypse disaster. It was just unbelievable. That has never happened. It has never happened in our modern civilization. You'd have to go back to, you know, the Black Plague to get anything close to it. It was really unreal. It was just unreal. I couldn't believe how I'd look into the sky and there'd be no airplanes. There was no airplanes flying into Toronto. There's no airplanes flying into Waterloo Regional Airport. Talking to people who were delivering food in Toronto, a major global city, millions and millions of people. Something that would take them a half an hour before took them, they caught every light for kilometers because there's no traffic. People could rollerblade, skateboard, ride their bikes in the street. You hear stories where sea turtles return to beaches to breed. We talked to Les Stroud, survivor man. He said that the, the fish have returned in large in numbers and size to the sports fishing lakes because there was no there was no sports fishing. So nature had a chance to catch its breath. We we talked to Ned from San Francisco about the impact on amphibians, and he said more frogs were able to cross the road with less cars on the road during breeding season. So. It was interesting how it stopped the world. We talked with Delana Gale Bone, a blues matriarch. She told us her cultural background is is Afro-Indigenous. And she said that in her culture, these big times of pestilence were a time for people to work on themselves. It was a time to do some self-reflection for the people and for for the community until things kind of became safer again. We talked with so many people who used that lockdown time in so many different ways. Some people for personal development, some people connected more with nature, some people moved where they live, changed their career, changed their family dynamics. And Tim is now showing us a picture of Geronimo. Geronimo, the Apache, prominent American, historical Native American Apache. Thank you. He was was actually a medicine man. He wasn't the chief, he was a medicine man in reality. Oh, wow. And he actually had a woman who fought with him alongside him called Lozen, or Lozen, and she was actually a warrior that fought with him. And nobody oh, wow. knows her name, but one of his close associates and a, and a warrior that fought alongside him. I have the tremendous respect for Native American. I have several of these types of pictures in my house. Tremendous respect for the Native American culture. It's just, to me, fascinating. If anybody has their eye on the ball, it's those guys. They have, their culture really speaks to the truth and speaks to what, what the reality is how sacred the land and the water and the air is, how important it is. Here again, it's capitalism has run the world and it still rules the world. And like you said earlier, at some point in time, 
at some point in time, and I think we're going to see it in the next 50 years, the working people, the people who don't have all the gold, the masses of people who are who need to be able to feed their families and have shelter, and they're going to not put up with it anymore. And I think that they're going to rise up and they're going to demand, they're going to demand that all the power come out of the very top of the pyramid and not just remain there, as it were, is spread and, and shared more equally around the world. And that the priorities, the priorities will be set by the government's to be for the people and not for the five folks that have everything. You see what I mean? Because that's what we have now is the five people that have everything because ah. they're the ones that can pick up the phone and get your president on the line and get your congressman and your senator and your parliament person on the line because they have all the money. See, you and I can't do that, but they can. And then they can dictate what needs to be done and they control it. What you say now makes me think of an important person in the pandemic, Chris Smalls. Chris Smalls is the president of the Amazon Labor Union. And while the owner of Amazon was gallivanting in low orbit space in the billionaire space race, Chris and his fellow workers were unionizing. I, I agree with you that it's going to be the people. And I, people. I, I look at it in terms of, and I agree with George Elliott Clark, it's going to be organized labor, like in the past, once again, is going to need to push back to make sure we have an equitable arrangement around wealth distribution, to make sure we have safe working conditions, and to combat all the, the slide backwards that we have been going through since trickle-down economics kind of came to the forefront. It was in the 80s, and it was actually mentioned, it was actually a policy. It was Reagan's policy, trickle-down. So, yes, you have the masses and the working people. I mean, it's a very simple what if, okay, that you can operate on. If you took all the billionaires out of the economic loop, take them out for six months, take all the hedge fund managers and CEOs of the corporations and the billionaires, take them out for six months. You six wouldn't years. even you wouldn't even notice anything. You wouldn't notice it. Now reverse that. Leave them and take the entire workforce of your country out of the loop. In 20 minutes, your entire society is going to go into the toilet. Your economy is going to crash and nothing's going to get done. Your workers, the people that work, that punch the clock, the people that do the services and do all the lifting and the heavy lifting of the society, they're the ones that make the economy go. Nothing works on this planet without the people who do the labor. That's it. So who are, deserves the break? They do. And are you seeing any organizing and interesting labor union developments like the like Chris Small, president of the Amazon Labor Union, like the Starbucks unionizations. Are, are you seeing any of that where you are? As a matter of fact, yes, my, my girlfriend works for a theater here in Beverly Hills. And in fact, they just unionized last year. They just unionized last year. They were not a union house when she joined and it was she's been there for almost 10 years. And they only just recently unionized. So on a very local personal level. Yes, I just witnessed it. I think um, there might be some rumblings about Starbucks. I don't think Starbucks is union. Is that union? I don't think that's union. There's that been union? certain Starbucks chains that have started unionizing. Now, yes, I think Starbucks yes. might be shutting them down too, like Walmart does, but yeah, yeah. it's happening. The grassroots is resisting and organizing. Yes. It's not only that in the capitalist sort of economy that we're in, but it's also in terms of government, I think we're going to see an upheaval at some point in time. We're going to see an upheaval because I think there's so many people who are going to be, you know, not able to function, not able to get from point A to point B, not able to 
easily feed their families or get a job or do whatever. And they're going to get so tired of just not being able to get ahead or get started or get whatever that they're going to, they're going to, there's going to be a problem. And it, it's, it's going to take a while. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be a slow, slow burn because there's so many distractions and things in people's lives nowadays. But I think eventually they're going to realize, hey, what the heck's going on here? I cannot pay the rent. Why can't I get, you know, pay for food? I can't afford the food. I can't afford this. I can't do this. I can't, you know, what's going on, you know? And, and the United Kingdom just had a general strike in the last couple of weeks. Another trend in this labor situation. That's right. That's right. It's going to happen. But before I ask you my next question, I would just like to say, Hosi Amira. And what I believe I just said to you was, hello, sir, in Setswanen. <laughs> and oh, that's cool. I say that based on your next song title, Kushinganza. Yes. How was the pandemic Kushinganza? And Kushinganza is a Swahili word for positive, awesome. Yeah, amazing. Yes. Besides the planet having a chance to catch its breath, and animals getting to cross the street without all the cars. Was there anything fantastic about the pandemic? One of the things that stood out to me was there was, it did seem large scale cooperation early on among different governments to study the virus and come up with vaccines. It also did seem that things that were impossible became possible, like virtual work, Zoom and working remotely and not having to be chained to your desk. Can you think of anything that was Cushion Gaza about the pandemic as a matter, from your journey. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I mean, you touched on the two two main things: is that the way we function in our society dramatically changed during the pandemic and has stuck, has stayed since the pandemic. The major shift here was with our workforce. People didn't want to go back to work at the jobs they had for the wages they were getting. People didn't want to go back to the job they had. They wanted to go do something else. They wanted to find a better job, better career, better something. That was dramatic here. So a lot of the workforce did not want to go back to the jobs they had prior to the pandemic. And again, like you said, this virtual world became so much more important. The meetings being done virtually, the convenience of doing that, the saving of gas. Our air was so clear here and that, that, that we, we all noticed that we could, that everything was, it was crystal clear. There was absolutely no haze or smog or anything which was remarkable because normally there's a bunch. Everything was so different compared to what it was before then. During that time, it is, it was, it's, it's stunning how, how such a massive metropolitan footprint can change so dramatically because of one thing like this. And you're, you're absolutely right. It was, it was amazing in that, in that sense, the changes that have taken place and the way that people might live. It makes so much more sense to work virtually in a job that you can work virtually in because you're not driving, you're not polluting, you're not wasting time, you're getting things done far more efficiently. It is easier on the family. You're home with your pets, you're home with your children, and you can still get your work done. How could that be a negative? That's amazing to me. And here in Canada, the federal government had a real cushion Gaza response to the pandemic. In Canada, anyone that was affected by the pandemic pretty much got a universal basic income. The government gave out to everybody who was affected by the pandemic, I think it was 2200 bucks a month. I know from talking to a friend of the pandemic show, Staz, the boss from Brooklyn, Staz said you were getting pandemic STEMI, pandemic stimulus checks there, which, which was similar, but not exactly the same. It didn't seem to give as much support 
as the universal basic income serve that was given out in Canada. Are you familiar with the universal basic income? Uh, no, I'm not. Not in the, the best, from your perspective, no. So how it's been explained to me up here in Canada is it's we reorganize our economic system. Everybody starts off with twelve hundred bucks a month, maybe fifteen hundred bucks a month. So there's no desperation in the economy. It empowers people to do things that they're good at or things that they're passionate about, and then it gives more value to society. Some people will say, "Well, we can't afford to give people money for nothing," but it's not money for nothing. It saves on homelessness expenses. It saves on social service costs. Some people believe it's more efficient for the economy because people are able to do the things that they're best at and most passionate about. So work is a labor of love rather than a punishment. That's something that we had in Canada. And it's it'll be interesting to see if we can get that because there is more than enough money in the world. Sadly, mm-hmm. it is just getting hoarded by the billionaire class, the venture capitalists, all those types. And I look at money a lot like blood. Blood has to run through your system. If blood doesn't run through your system, you're going to start to get septic. You're going to start to get sick. And I think it's the same with our economic system where people are hoarding money. It's preventing the flow of this vital, vital component of our society through our through our community, our communal body. It's a tough one, but I think there's more than enough money out there for everyone. It's just not being shared. Well, that, of course, is the case. It's in, it's, it is the reason we have the concept of income inequality. It's simply that money is all being hoarded. In this country, they, they, want, they want to eliminate the social programs that we do have. Um, in order to In order to allow, but of course, everybody would still be paying taxes so that the, that the richest people can, can, can get their legislators that they pay for money for their campaigns, contribute to their campaigns in exchange. They want you to write legislation that cuts their taxes and also cuts the regulations on their jobs, on their, their companies and corporations. They want to deregulate and they want to cut the taxes so that their, their, their income will double and triple. They want to reduce the regulations in the financial market so they can risk and gamble a lot more, which, which again becomes a threat to the economy because they can crash it, which they have done several times. These are the things that we do it again. In our politics in this country, our government, our elections are financed and funded by the richest people. Our own courts okayed Citizens United and decided in favor of corporations being just like people. Corporations having the same rights as human beings. Corporations are by definition artificially created or dissolved entities. They are not people. They do not have families. They do not raise children. They do not have elderly parents to take care of. They do not have siblings. They do not have handicapped kids. They are artificially created entities. Oh, but the court, because of the way our politics are, allowed them to go ahead and make corporations the same as people, that they have the same rights. We only fought a revolutionary war to establish this country against England because we fought against a corporation at the time. That's what it was. So now the corporations have again taken over power. The robber barons are in charge. So it it's going to take, and because of our political election systems in Canada, I'm sure it's not the same. In Canada, when you vote for the prime minister, every person's vote counts in the country. In ours, it does not count. In our presidential elections, because of the electoral process, every vote does not count. The Democratic Party has won the last seven elections 
in the popular vote, the vote of every man, woman, and child who is over 18 and eligible, did not vote for a Republican president in the last seven elections. But because of our electoral system, only three or four states determine who the president's going to be. We have a, a different system, but there are challenges. We have first past the post. So you can have a majority of the power still with a, minor, with a minority of votes, but it's based more on the, uh, the UK system. But Tim, I got to just say what a treat it is to be talking with you here today on the Pandemic Show. Our 100th guest, season four of this journey through time and space. And I just want to move on to to talk to you about space. You yeah. are an astronomer. You're doing some important work. Friends, check him out on YouTube. You can learn more about his astronomy on YouTube. But our next question in song title in the form of a pandemic question, what did we see in the stars with the naked eye during the pandemic? During the pandemic and just at the I want to say just near the end of the pandemic for me, I was able to acquire a brand new technologically advanced telescope. It's an imaging telescope, and it completely has revolutionized amateur astronomy. This technology, the way it's done, it is a combination of a telescope and, a, and an imaging system. So you have the telescope, you have an eyepiece, and you can look into deep space and see objects that you cannot see with the naked eye and in the middle of the city with the city lights as they are. Wow. And uh, it's called a unistellar EV scope, and it's brand new. I'm sure it's going to evolve over the next five, 10 years, and others will come running as well. But this telescope is unbelievable. Prior to that, I only had optical telescopes, which allowed me to look at the planets and the moon and, and in dark skies to be able to see some of the deep sky objects. But the visuals that you have with the naked eye are very limited because your naked eye can only see one layer of light at a time. What the imaging telescope does is it manages to layer the light coming in from that object. So it accumulates the layers of light from the object. The object becomes brighter and more detailed. And it happens within a few minutes. That's it, just a few minutes. So unlike astrophotography, which can take all night long or several days of all night longs, to do that, this does the same thing in three minutes so that you're looking at the object in real time, optically through the eyepiece, but you're seeing it in so much greater detail and color as well. I've looked at your images and they blow my mind, just like these new images coming out of the NASA telescopes of the distant galaxies. And it just blows my mind. And when you said that this telescope the unistellar EV scope is able to look at objects in light where there's light pollution. Wow, that's a game changer because light yes, pollution is. is a is a big problem. Huge I'm problem. fortunate to live out in the country, so I feel like I have an unobstructed night sky view. But when I look towards where the cities are, it's all light. I notice now that I'm seeing these Starlink satellites going around the planet. Yep. Um I've noticed lots of, like, I've just been looking at the stars and thinking, wow, everybody right now is looking at the same stars as me during this global pandemic and has been looking at these stars for millions of years. Do you think we should, as humans, go out into space with how we treat our own planet? I, I believe it's inevitable that uh, humankind as a species, I had this conversation with somebody recently because they had a very, <laughs> they had a far more dire opinion of what the future of the planet's going to be than I did. And I'm pretty much 
not only uh, I'm a cynic by nature, uh, the glass is usually half empty for me, but, but I, I, feel, I feel that here, here again, what you mentioned earlier about the pandemic, what is going to save us? Number one is going to be AI. It's going to be our advance in technology. We were able to come up with a vaccine for that pandemic, global pandemic, in a year. That has never been done because we have the technology now to manipulate DNA. We are going to, on the future, be able to eradicate paralysis, the spinal cord repairs, brain deficit, Alzheimer's, cancer. All that stuff's going to go away. Hallelujah. That's going away. That is going away. And and as sure as every as other ailments that we have conquered have gone away, that's going to go away. We are on the precipice of the newest medical technology. There are people being born right now. They're gonna have, they're gonna be just coming up with all kinds of things because of that and because of AI. As a species, in order to survive, it is inevitable that we will leave this planet and we will colonize space. And we will colonize other worlds. It will happen. We will move to a class one and class two civilization over time. I don't know what's going to be left of the earth. I don't know how thrashed and trashed it's going to be. Isaac Asimov had a viewpoint about it in one of his books, but because of technology, I think that's what's going to be our salvation as we salvage and we modify and harness the power of this planet and the resources of this planet and also the way in which we live. The zeitgeist will occur at some point in time, and the priorities will shift to those of the human being, those of human needs. Our population will probably crash. It's going to get very big between now and 2050. It might crash in terms of numbers at some point in time, and it'll probably stabilize at a certain level. And we will probably look at the childbirth and things like that in the population numbers much more seriously happened recently with China. Remember, China limited the number of births. Yep. China's already thinking ahead. And we may have to do the same thing so that our priorities may not be just the individual and personal. It's going to have to be the everybody, right? Not just the one person, but the everybody. We're all That's in it. this together. And you made it, You mentioned Isaac Asimov. I read a lot of him as a young teenager. And I could never understand some of the concepts because I hadn't experienced life enough, I believe. Now, season four of the pandemic, I can understand agoraphobia that he talked about in his stories. Because now you see people that three years ago would go outside and be around people, and now they're afraid to. We're all <laughs> having to come out of this pandemic in our own way. But what a treat to talk with you here today, Tim Russ. Musician, actor, philosopher, intellectual. I know your time is precious and you have to go. Last question. Sure. What do you hope the world is like in after times? I'm hoping that the people as a whole, gain more power and control over their lives and that they have more to say, more impact on their environment and on their, their, their policies and their politics, that people also, certain groups of people either are in, become enlightened and or are quieted and, are, 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 you know, and no longer have an influence in our society, that their language is no longer heard. That is what I'm hoping for right now, is that we, if we cannot change their minds, at least we can, you know, not have to listen to them, not have to hear them, and not have to deal with them. I'm hoping for my own country in particular that that is the case in the future, and that, that, that human beings and children become a priority within our society, not, not an afterthought, but a priority, both politically and socially and economically. Tim Russ, thank you ever so much for joining us here today on the Pandemic Show. Stories of the Pandemic for the people of the Pandemic. 
No one's alone on the Pandemi Show. Thanks for listening to the Pandemi Show. We're all in this together, and we're glad you're here together with us. Physically distance with us at pandemishow.com. Pandemi Show is on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Stories from the Pandemi for the people of the Pandemi. Do you have an interesting Pandemi story and want to share? Email us at pandemishow at gmail.com. Thanks to all our guests. Thanks to Giant Value for singing us in and letting us know everything is going to be all right. No one is alone at the Pandemi Show.